Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, uh, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the graphic novels review editor for uh, uh, Publishers Weekly, as well as the co-editor of PW Comics World and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer, and I write for both of them. Um, this week on More to Come, uh, the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Festival. Uh, D- DC Comics goes digital on all platforms and as it turns out, is uh, offering some early releases as well. Um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid as well goes digital. And uh, we'll do a little talking about Tony Harris, girl geek fans, uh, misogyny, and uh, and all that. And uh, I should say that actually we're all like uh, re- recording from our very... Yeah, um, yeah we are not located in the New York office. Yes, we are not located we're in the city. Located well, I am anyway. We're actually virtual <laughs> Skype Yes, and Skype I think meeting hall of the mind. I think Kate's in one of the boroughs, I suppose. But uh, yes, but so we're in New York I'm City, not, though not at the offices of uh, or I'm I am. in North Carolina. So um, yes, I, I am reporting from um, on my bed in Brooklyn. So okay. <laughs> hi guys. There you go. Uh, there's a my, visual. My cat may randomly show up at any time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right to the, the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Festival. Uh, the latest in what seems to be just a, you know an expanding universe of small press that really get the job done. Uh, absolutely. And uh, now it is fourth year. I think they really got everything right at the show. Um, it really developed into uh, a multi-platform event with all these satellite art openings. Uh, they had a, uh, a full production event now, really, much yes. like uh, you know the Brooklyn Book Festival or something. Right, exactly. Events and, all week uh, long leading up to it. You know, foreign uh, artists were in town for it. Um, I went to a bunch of the gallery openings. They were really a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it was really an outstanding event. I mean, I, I think really the one question was, was is it too successful? I mean, it got very crowded and smelly. Packed. And sticky. It was just very packed. It was so uh, damp that uh, literally tape was peeling off the walls. I was standing there with Gabe Fowler when... Uh, the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Festival banner, which is mounted on the wall, literally just peeled Peels right off. off because it was so sweaty and stinky in there. Um, and, what? you know, as people are saying, when indie comics festivals are getting as – you know, people have always been joking about mainstream comms that they were, uh, the, you know, hot and stinky. And now indie shows are hot and stinky as well. So, I mean, they're really going mainstream. Indie comics are really going mainstream. There you go. I think that the discussion among the – People putting on the show really was should they expand? And the feeling that I got is that they really want to stay as one day for the exhibitors and the panels, even though the panels were packed as well. Yeah. Because I think, you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, Brooklyn Comics and Graphic Fest really works the way it is. And um, I don't and think a, it's a really validation of, uh, of their approach. I mean, yeah, there was uh, there was obviously some some sniping and snarking about it being a curated show, invitation only. But uh, but the combination of that um, and free admission keeps the place jam packed all day long. There's there's awesome artists which we haven't even mentioned the list of some of the incredible people. They're starting with Chris Ware, Art Spiegelman, um, uh, for, you mentioned some of the foreign uh, artists. So it, it's really validated the uh, the organizers' uh, vision of what the what a what a small press show should be. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean- on one hand, I mean, there's much to be said about, oh, elitism and stuff, but given that there's so many cons that are wide open, 
to have one or two that aren't is really not that big of a deal. Yeah. But I think the plan is the point is uh, that the show really works. And yeah. as one of the artists that I was uh, hanging out with told me, and I honestly don't remember who it was, but he pointed out that this was the first time that uh, just people from his workplace showed up at the festival, like without saying, um, you know, oh, are you doing that thing? I mean, you know, just yeah. people he knew from around were showing up and saying, oh, is this, you're here. What are you doing here? I mean, you know, so it really expanded its reach, its outreach. And I think it's just really, uh, you know, the year's winding up. And I think uh, the success of the show is really a nice testament to where indie comics are right now. And <clears throat> I mean, I think certainly Chris Ware. I mean, building stories is on the yeah. bestseller list. It's on the it's on the legitimate uh, actual bestseller list right now. Um, mm -hmm. Both Bookscan and the New York Times comics and graphics. So, uh, so New York Times didn't ghettoize it off the list. Uh, no, uh, no, it's on the comics list. It's, on it's the also comics on the Bookscan bestseller list. So, yeah. right. um, you know, we're just seeing massive inroads for comics into places that they never were before. And 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 in you know what you know has been called everything from art comics to literary comics, you know, to obscure comics. I right. mean, it, it really is showing that you know the, what you if you want if you want to call it that the literary comics niche is really moving into the mainstream. It's bringing in a new audience. Uh, for, yeah, for I mean, I would actually I would make a little di a difference a distinction with Brooklyn Comics BTGF mm -hmm. let's say because I'm messing up but I would definitely call it more art comics and literary comics because mm -hmm. I think it's really more art focused like mm -hmm. a lot of the exhibitors there are very art focused in what yeah, they're doing so. um, and I mean there's a lot of uh, prints on sale um, I think there's very much a handmade quality to a yes, lot of the books is. that are mm -hmm. there a lot of them are original prints screen prints or um there's a different kind of, I don't want to say letterpress. I don't know. I'm not too up on my printing technology. I heard more I'm sure there was some letterpress there. And comics <laughs> press talking about printmaking than uh -huh. any comic show I've ever been to. So, yeah. <laughs> so like uh, the French artist Flex Bollocks was there talking about his uh, print, printmaking. But anyway, I call it art comics, definitely. I think that's mm -hmm. really where, what the interest in this was. So it's kind of between the art book festival, maybe outsider art a little. I mean, it's just hitting on a lot of different levels. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then again, I mean, they bring in sort of selected mainstream. Certainly Raj Chess was there. Um, yes. Where does she fall on the spectrum? Well, she's obviously humor, but, but um, uh, you know, it's an interesting mix um, that they put together for the show. And it's obviously bringing, bringing the, the readers and new readers into the, you know, to the yeah. medium. Absolutely. Did you, Calvin, did you pick up any books that you liked? I did indeed. Um, I actually picked up uh, a terrific book from, uh, uh, what's the guy named? His name Matt Hune. Uh, he's from Australia. He, uh, he, does, he has a book called Cab. It's in anthologies. He's done all the drawing, but it's different stories, about 10 or different stories of uh, kind of the ethnic stories of a gritty uh, kind of urban suburb outside of Sydney, Australia. Um, the book is called Cab, uh, and it's uh, essentially an app. Uh, it's, it's essentially an anthology of stories of identity and culture, uh, kind of all coming together in this Australian town. And uh, he's a terrific uh, illustrator. Uh, you no, know, I and, saw that. Never got to go by and pick it up. But it yeah, he, I, I thought he was. I thought it was once again a real interesting international mix that the the BCGF offers. Uh, and then, of course, there was the um, Uncivilized Books list, which I was very impressed with. 
Yeah, no, they're doing a great job. Um, I also enjoyed uh, picking up Tim, Ticket Stub by Tim Hensley, yes. put up by Ham Books. Uh, it's it's like kind of bizarre stories of movie theaters. Um, uh, Tim Hensley's kind of a he's kind of a cult cartoonist, I'd say, but you know, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and also the other one, I Lex Bollocks. I just love his books. He's such an amazing. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of children's books, but just graphically, his stuff is just you know uh, uh, unbelievably gorgeous. So. I'm a really big fan, but yeah, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, you uh, know, talking about how comics are expanding their audience, I think uh, certainly part of the reason for that is the advent of digital comics. And there's, as always, a lot of digital comics news in the last couple of weeks. Um, yep. Led by DC this DC's. time was at the head of the pack. Yes. Yes. They were moving into some new platforms. Yes, and uh, and effect and Heidi wrote the story for it. You can check it out at publishersweekly.com/comics. But uh, DC Comics is now making all of their periodical comics available in digital format on all platforms: Kindle Store, iBook Store, Nook. Um, and uh, as for it, they seem to be the first major publisher to make it available across basically everywhere. Right, and but just to, it's it's still very confusing. And uh, for those who are worried about their purchases becoming orphan, uh, you know, I think that is a good thing to have in the back of your mind because basically, uh, okay, I had this explained to me, but this is the first time their periodical monthly comics have been available yeah. through these platforms. Now, the graphic novels were previously available uh, through these platforms. However, the periodical comics are still available through. Uh, Comixology, and if you go on Comixology app for the Kindle, well, of which there is one, you will not be able to buy the graphic novels from DC through that app because. So if you <laughs> bought them somewhere else, and like say, your app on something that wasn't a Kindle, you would not be then able to read it on your Kindle in the Comixology app, even if you bought it elsewhere. I believe that's true. Hmm. I. That's an interesting question. I, I I wonder if that's the case. I wonder if it's not you, you can't buy it, but if you have it through another, uh, if you have it through another channel on that but device, you should be able to read it. It would seem to me, but I, I, I I'm I'm guessing. If you were to buy it through, say, the iBookstore, which uses the uh, standard uh, book format, which is the EPUB yes. format, for instance. So if you bought it through the iBookstore, say, on your on your iPad. Mm-hmm. You should also be able to read anything that you bought through iBookstore. You'd be able to read it on your computer, for instance, if you had an Apple. So I don't know if you could get it on the Kindle, but uh, anyway. I, <laughs> I think I think we may be sending people running, screaming from the room if uh, <laughs> well, if, uh, if, if, if this discussion gets any more complicated. But it is tricky, uh, and we're going to see these kind of deals in the early days of, of, um, of digital distribution. But uh, what we're clearly heading for everything being available pretty much on every platform. Right. And uh, uh, DC released some figures in conjunction with this announcement that their digital, overall digital comic sales are up uh, almost 200%. 197%. It's quite astonishing. That's right. Almost 200%. Uh, from, Without hurting print sales. Yes. And print sales are also up 12%. Yes. Yes. Uh, so they're really, uh, you know, comics are doing quite well. They just released some Diamond Digital or Diamond print figures, and this is probably the second biggest month um, since they started keeping these figures, these kind of sales figures. 
uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of things are driving that. Um, the end of Avengers vs. X-Men, Marvel Now launching, um, before Watchmen is actually contributing to that. So, uh, so graphic novels, Walking Dead, a lot of things are just hitting very well right now. Yep, so. Interestingly, speaking of uh, Marvel Now, they have made the brilliant marketing decision that they are going to spend money on advertising on the radio. For comics. Yeah. On the, I'm not really sure of their business model. I wish them luck. Okay. Well, like, uh, you know, I, I often say things on the podcast I wouldn't say in print because uh, it's not, it doesn't stick around as long. But, you know, when you look at the beautiful job that DC did in marketing the new 52, the rollout really, like, should be studied in marketing school for doing a great job. Without you know, a doubt. Yes. I would not say the same of Marvel Now's a rollout. Uh, I, I'm even super interested in Marvel now, and I really have no clue like when what's yeah, it, coming. It's out. been a little confused and confusing, um, without a doubt. Um, and anyway, shall we move on to uh, another really big release that's also moving into the digital realm, and that's uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I didn't want to move on to that. Back up, because what we should talk about, um, uh, you know. In terms of all the books coming out from DC, also very uh, interesting developments just this week because uh, the comics are beginning to go out early. Oh, yes, my mistake. Yeah, yes, another un- yeah, surprising um, event. Yes. Uh, for quite a while, they were actually holding them until 3 o'clock, I think, so that people could go to their comic shop and, you know, buy them. And, and instead of, like, under, like, like, what if you woke up in the morning and really needed to get that comic? You would go run into your comic shop instead of waiting for the digital version. Well, that is no more. Now you can just wake up, go online, maybe even a little bit the night before. In some cases, they were available. And now you can just get your digital comics whenever the hell you want uh, after they're released. And there's no embargo for, for brick and mortar. And just... A couple things this week that I don't know if you guys have heard anything about this, and I I'm, I need to investigate this further. But it also looks like pretty like you could pre-order uh, comics now, mm-hmm. and if you could pre-order, that's just a step ahead of subscribing to digital comics, uh, which is yes. has been resisted because it might hurt brick and mortar stores. But um, I predict that we will see you be able to make digital subscriptions very soon. Sounds and, good. Yes. Now, speaking of pre-orders, one book that was available for pre-order and just got released was uh, The Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yes, yeah. Um, now, uh, available on all, let's see, all the, simultaneously with the hardcover um, on all platforms, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, right. Abrams available. really is, is picking yes. up the ball on this one. It's great. And uh, uh, it's available on, on all platforms. Um, I should check, uh, check, I'd be interested in checking some of the uh, digital bestseller list and seeing how that's doing but uh you know it's been a top amazon's bestseller list for in pre-order for a week or more so it's like in fact i am actually on vacation right now but calling in from north carolina where i'm staying with some cousins of mine and uh they little girls of seven years old and what do you think they were reading when i walked into the house (laughs) there you go (laughs) not surprising since they've sold what like 75 million copies of the uh whole line of the books so um yeah. Not surprising that uh, any kid in America uh, it might be happening to to read the diary uh, diary of a wimpy kid, and now it'll be easier. I was also uh, reading Disney comics on her mom's iPhone, so um, you know <laughs> you're raising those kids right. <laughs> yeah. And coming right. soon to an iPhone or a piece of paper near you 
My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, the comic, which apparently has gangbuster pre-sales. Um, unfortunately, is- it was supposed to come out this week, but it's uh, not going to be for another two weeks. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. I Yes, I admit it. I watched that show. I wonder why it was delayed. That's no good. Uh, well, yeah, it was not good. But, you know, speaking of little girls reading comics uh, from an early age, uh, the continuing... Now we, you know, we and unfortunate. A... <laughs> uh, uh, oh. I, I don't want to call it a dis, uh, discussion because it's really sort of an oppressive, recurring uh, sort of plague on the category. Um, uh, this notion of, that somehow or other uh, women and girls have some either don't belong in the in the in the fan space or have to pass a special like secret handshake to be able to be here. Right, and uh, I, a couple just the, the fake geek girl meme which has been going around oh uh, yeah goes its head again and then unfortunately our artist tony harris went off on this rant on his facebook page uh well i don't know badly capitalized and punctuated too for extra uh, it, fun points hard to understand I mean, well maybe it's not so hard to understand obviously he's a terrific artist and, and can say any uh, ridiculous thing he wants but um i mean really it was it was just an awful offensive and stupid rant uh, and it's, it sort of brings back all of the worst notions of what this category uh, is or will, or will become. Um, and it's not – there's no nerd litmus test <laughs> for – I mean some of the discussions seem to be around this whole notion of cosplay being like some way to lure idiot fanboys. And uh, I, I don't yeah, – I, to, I can to, barely even understand paraphrase it. paraphrase it in less explicit terms. Uh, and slightly less rambly, he was accusing women who go to conventions in costumes who are attractive of not being, A, not being attractive enough, and B, being prostitutes who are seeking out impressionable geek men for attention who they would not sleep with under other circumstances. Yeah, I don't even know where he's coming from on this one. It's just just too weird. I mean... I don't really understand it. If it wasn't an artist of such prominence, maybe we could have just ignored this. No, I, I, I think that's really the shame. I mean, I think he was projecting some kind of anxiety, societal anxiety about women that uh, is pretty pervasive in yeah. a lot of societies. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple of different things. It's like he, he was also complaining about the skimpy costumes that they were wearing. And I was like, well, you know, comics artists, if you don't want to see women the skimpy costumes don't draw such skimpy well, costumes. Well, that's what's so astonishing. I'm from a, I mean, if if there's, I mean, if pop culture spends its whole time uh, basically creating this whole this fantasy world where men are constantly exploiting women's sexuality. If anybody has a right to exploit their presumed sexuality, it should be the women themselves. All right, let us exploit our own sexuality. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, um, isn't that what you've been trying to manipulate women into doing all along? <laughs> when they actually do it, you're upset because. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's that's an interesting uh, interpretation that I, I wouldn't be against. But I mean, what he's talking about, uh, I just find it bizarre to to criticize women for supposedly. I mean, this is his view of going to cons for no other reason than to to lure uh, innocent fanboys to their depths. Um, I mean, he's his whole business is exploiting women, generally speaking. I mean, if you look at the costumes of most female superheroes. You know, I would exempt Tony Harris from that. And I mean, you know, oh, I, I lo- look and I agree. I, I love his work. That's why I was so shocked to I feel like, you know, see this artist and does yeah, great comics. And I feel like he's maybe can be more enlightened on this. And, 
you know, I, I hope that that he takes this in some kind of, you know, learning, teaching moment in, in some ways. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, some people are boycotting his comics and whatever. And I mean, I, you know, I don't feel that way. But I mean, he was just saying things that are ingrained into society, really. And uh, I mean, be confronted and really dealt with. And, you know, this idea that, that I, I mean, it's all tied up. I mean, we could spend hours. We should just do a special episode where we call up sociologists, and, you know, like. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually it's heard interesting an interesting. That, that, that he's some like lone voice in the, in the woods, like, you know, finally speaking the truth. It's, in, it's, it's nonsense. Well, it's some weird obsession of. All the people of, who popped out of the woodwork to go, oh, you're exactly right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I actually heard a great theory, which I hadn't even thought of, and I thought that makes sense. Of all places in the comment section of an io9 post on this, um, where someone put out the idea that a lot of guys who are not into traditionally masculine hobbies get into geekdom and then have managed to reassure themselves on their masculinity by saying it's a guy's hobby. So then when girls show up doing it too, then... Like somehow this is no longer their signifier of masculinity. The girls like Faced also begin with their own effeminate nature. <laughs> well, right. well, well, who knows, huh? I don't know. I, I'm just, no psychiatrist. As Will Eisner said once, uh, you know, as long as young boys doubt their masculinity, there will be a need for superheroes. And uh, I mean, there's certainly yeah. a lot of sense to that. And and I mean, this again is really a study of of. You know, anthropology. This is really a study for anthropology, just in terms of how the human societies over the years, like their, you know, Higher gender segregation and men's yeah. roles, women's roles are usually segregated in most societies, and and how when women take on men's roles, uh, how men are react to it, and why men need to have these segregated roles, and I mean, it's a very deep seated human need, I will say that, or a human impulse that seems to have been for at least the last 5,000 years of human history. So, um, you know, we are dealing with, with deep old stuff here, but, yeah. you know, like God, the Internet has made all that moot. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, yeah. what, what's also interesting is that, like, when they, and not only guys, but some female fans are whining about fake fans, it's like, what occurs to me is they've never heard of a casual fan. Like, they don't seem to understand that, it is possible to genuinely like something and not have devoted your entire teenage years to it. I mean, I fully admit that I am not one of those people. I did devote my entire teenage well, years to it. I, I, but I, I remember, I'm very sympathetic and, to people who are like, yeah, I want to read some comics sometimes and go to some cons course. sometimes. It doesn't make you of, fake. It just of makes course. you well, slightly I mean, we used to talk about this for uh, um, as you know, as our own involvement here at PW was able to to step up and do it with more and more coverage, and and there's a whole market out there of people, as I used to describe it, who are really curious about comics, but they're not obsessed with them like you know all the people we know. So and that's that's a normal state of affairs. Yeah, who that's okay. Who it's want okay to read a few books? They want to read what they hear about, or they want to pick up and take a look at what you know, what some friends said, or what they see on TV, or whatever. Now, and that know, doesn't mean they're going to devote their lives to the medium. And that's right. okay. You know, and that's okay. That's yeah, okay too. And I mean, if you go out on Halloween, I mean, we didn't get to have Halloween because we had a hurricane blackout. But when you go out on hur- uh, Halloween, you see lots of people of both sexes dressed as superheroes. Sure. And if you go on to costume websites, you will see there are tons of superhero costumes on sale. Now, are some of the people of both sexes dressing up in these costumes just to kind of get attention and strut their stuff? 
Absolutely. Sure. No question about it. But you know what? They could dress as a sexy nurse instead, or they could dress as Absolutely. a sexy prison guard or whatever. You know, I mean, it's like they're obviously being drawn to some aspect of this culture. And, you know, attractive people like to dress up for attention. That is a fact. And yeah. if it, why and are we? What's wrong with that? <laughs> In fact, what we've tried to do, I mean, one of the great releases, and I think one of the great attractions about cosplaying or, or costume wearing at a, in a larger sense is that you can kind of step out of whoever you you may be and enjoy it and, and, and really bond with these things that you really love. Right. And I mean, of course, there are booth babes. There's oh, no yes, of course. But, there, but these you know, rants like, are rarely talking about booth babes. No. They're no. usually, like, mad at just people who are just there. Yeah. Or this whole notion that you've got to have, indeed, you have to have a perfect superhero's body to even put one on. Right. And I mean, I, I, I mean, when I see, you know, I mean, why would, I, I mean, we've all seen people who are not, don't have superhero physiques dressed up in, as costume, as characters from our comic book literature. And, and we're sort of like, well, maybe, you know, giant, uh, you know, giant Ramona flowers wasn't a very good idea or, you know, uh, portly Spider-Man. I mean, there's a lot of saggy Batman. We were well, all, I, I think in most cases, this is done with full knowledge of that because it's right. fun. But, 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 you know, let me just say, it's like, you know, to say that these people, which Tony Harris is also ranting against, uh, you know, I mean, how could you doubt that they're a fan when they're dressing up as these? I mean, they have to be some element of the fandom, you know, to, to, to express yourself in this way and to hold yourself up as, you know, it, it, it's, it, I mean, more power to them. I mean, it's, it's yeah. part of our world. Sometimes it isn't pretty, but you know what? I do find it also disturbing that he would simply dismiss them as somehow inauthentic um, with no knowledge of their intent or at all. Well, I, we can't hold Tony Harris up as a mo- paradigm of logical thinking, okay? He's a really great artist who, he is indeed. who writes some crazy shit on the internet. From This isn't even the first time Tony's done some crazy shit on the internet. So, you know, he but he did certainly, like, like as I told you, I think I told you guys, like, uh, like he wrote this, it went up and thing in the like it went out at night and then like by 10 in the morning, it was everywhere. And like, I, I walked to work and like, you know, half an hour later, I sit down and I turn on my Twitter and like, like probably 90% of my Twitter feed is talking about Tony Harris. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised it wasn't trending. I mean, Jesus, it just went, I mean, it just went viral in like five seconds. It, it, it really touched a nerve, yeah. you know, people. Well, I mean, uh, we've as, been hearing well a, a lot of the sort of fake geek girl meme the past, oh, six, nine months. I mean, it's always been a complaint, but I mean, more, it seems, to the point where John Scalzi got in on it and was like, no, anybody can be a geek. I say this as king of the geeks. I point myself. You know, it's yeah. like people just can't let it go. It seems to be a big thing right now. Yeah. Well, what, do you have any, like, you know, Kate, I mean, you're, you know, been involved with a lot of modern, modern, yeah. you know, very fandom. I mean, do you have any concept of, of where this fake geek girl idea well, came I, from? I think, or? I think a lot of it can be traced back to one very specific source, which is to say G4, um, right. which really, yeah, um, which marketed a lot of things to guys with female models who might or might not actually be comic book fans, but were perceived by the comic book community as inauthentic. 
and mm-hmm. were definitely the show, not necessarily the people on. But you know, it, but the, the notion of the in, inauthentic um, uh, comic. I mean, it, well, it certainly seems to predate G four. Oh no, no, no. I mean, there was there's definitely mean, inauthentic, but I mean, the very specific thing of. Uh, where well, is the plague of attractive females who oh, are Oh, it's very specifically. Okay, all right. I actually does dispute that in a way, Calvin. I would mm-hmm. say the whole idea of the hot succubus fake geek pretending to be to like Star Wars in order to uh, suck our precious bodily fluids, <laughs> really, uh, I'd say that's really the past few years. Yeah, it's a relatively new thing, that particular mm-hmm. breed. I mean, there was definitely the, you are a girl, you are not a real comics fan, you are doing it wrong. But this right. is like... Yes. A new, a new spin on that. I mean, I do think the comics community has a has a tendency, uh, because I think of its its historical marginalization as as powerful as comics have been in the pop culture. They've always been sort of marginalized as sort of in, intellectually like loopy or non-existent, and I think that the community has kind of created this sort of like. You know, I, I, I know more about comics than anybody, and if you don't know as much as I do, then you don't know anything. I mean, so, I, I, mean will, I, do, I will say that's this. The umbrella. That's at, all this is is falling under. Yeah, at a a well known New York comic shop, which is not Midtown Comics, but shall otherwise remain nameless. Uh, I actually found myself getting into a geek cred measuring contest with the guy behind the counter. With you know, like, well, you might not have heard of that, but <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've heard of it, but I actually prefer other obscure thing here. And I was like. I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, why am I getting into a geek cred measuring contest? But I think, like, on some atavistic level, I felt like I was defending the honor of my gender or something against an obnoxious night clerk at a comic book store. <laughs> well, well, there we go. Our people. Yeah. Our well, people. I, I, don't we love them? But, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people during this discussion popping out of the woodwork to say, oh, you're not a geek if you just like comics or something. You're only a geek if other people, like oppress you and say you're a geek you're only a geek if you're like forced to be one and i was thinking to myself you actually sound less like a geek than me like i would think what makes you a true geek is wanting to be here if you really wanted to be in the mainstream instead of in geek world then what are you doing here like we're not a ghetto go away <laughs> well this this whole thing is getting ever more complicated I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know the bottom line uh, is it's definitely not going away it hasn't been yeah. solved and I honestly feel like as, uh, you know, I think it is a little bit of, you know, this was my secret thing and now everybody likes it. You know, there is always, when everybody discovers your favorite indie band, there's always a little bit of of resentment. But you know what, there's going to be, there's plenty of resentment in the future then because this medium is branching (laughs) out further and further. And the whole notion that there's some pure fan and only they are entitled is ridiculous and will be, you know... And it's heading for the dustbin of history. Yeah, I, exactly. anytime they do, it kind of makes makes me go, gosh, I wish I knew some models to buy them Comic-Con passes just to annoy these twerps. <laughs> um, right. Well, I'm sure it doesn't take much to annoy them. So, no. <laughs> And there, there's there's more annoyance well, in their future. Sometimes we say happily more to come. Yeah. But uh, unhappily, I'm sure there's more to come. Yes, for of sure. This, yeah. yeah. On that note. Let's go okay, on to so other tell- news. And now for the briefs. Tokyo's comic market, known as Comiket, the largest Ijinshi market in the world, has received a credible threat letter threatening violent action against the event. Organizers have been working with local police and are considering increased security or possible cancellation of December 29th through 31st market. In the past month, at least 20 other locations related to the manga Kuroko's Basketball have received threatening letters, some containing dangerous substances. Two events, Shadow Trickster Osaka 
and the Miracle Quarter in Sapporo were canceled, and an official promotional event closed 19 days early. Comic Cat will host numerous circles producing Kuroko's basketball Dujinshi, although I have not confirmed that this is the reason for the threat. The classic independent comic ElfQuest spent decades in and out of development hell and had a movie deal with Warner Brothers that never became a movie. Now, its media rights have gone to Stephanie Thorpe and Paula Rhodes, fans and web TV producers who created the popular live-action ElfQuest fan film ElfQuest of Fan Imagining. Thorpe and Rhodes are speculated to be planning the property to become an independent live-action film or web series. Speaking of film rights, Speed Racer's Japanese owners, Tatsunoko Productions, are suing American licensor Speed Racer Enterprises for $1 million. Apparently, the American firm continued to license Speed Racer out, including to Lionsgate Studio and Toons Entertainment, after their contract with the owners expired. Tatsunoko seeks monetary damages, an injunction, and a declaration that Tatsunoko owns Speed Racer. DC has announced the cancellation of long-running Vertigo Magic Horror comic Hellblazer with issue 300. Preempting fan complaints, the publisher promises the character of John Constantine will return exactly the same, albeit decades younger and next door to superheroes, in the new New 52 book, Constantine. Many fans have expressed concern, however, that within the New 52, the trademark, adult themes, vulgarity, alcohol and tobacco use, and bisexuality may fall by the wayside, leaving the character completely unrecognizable. And, to finish with some good but unexpected news, Comics cult classic Paul Pope has announced that his long-awaited graphic novel Battling Boy Volume 1 is finished and now in the hands of his publisher's first second. No word on whether the Loch Ness Monster has finished its graphic novel yet. All right. Well, that's uh, the weekend uh, nerd news. But, of course, as always, uh, there will be more to come. There, so We certainly hope there will be more to come, and we plan to make <laughs> sure there is.